This is Top Floor, episode 126. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 126. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Peter Yasowicz is chairman of Hospitable Healthcare Partners and a founder of MMGY Global. He spent more than three decades in hospitality marketing before shifting gears to healthcare when he served as chief growth officer for Cancer Treatment Centers of America from 2010 to 2020. It was this experience that led to his recent book, Hospitable Healthcare, Just What the Patient Ordered, co-authored with Stowe Shoemaker. Today, Peter and I are going to talk about how the principles of hospitality can be applied to improve the healthcare industry. But before we do, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and basically anyone with a burning question. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Jenny. Here's what Jenny has to ask. What kind of survey should I use to measure brand awareness? How large of a group do I need to survey? I think this is a perfect question for you because you are such an expert at it. So what do you think, Dr. Yesowich? What is the type of survey to measure brand awareness? Fabulous question and very important statistic. Uh, And something I will tell you that in my career, we used to measure religiously you know, for the clients that we serve, because awareness is the precursor for behavior, right? And that is that you need to be aware generally of the brand before you can pick the brand. So (laughs) the answer to the question would be, there are so many online uh, panels that are now available. I'll tell you one that we used a lot was called YouGov, Y-O-U-G-O-V, which is a very well-established polling research, really a field service, I should say, uh, here in the States. And uh, very affordable, and you can define the sample characteristics that you'd like to to use. So, for example, if you want to screen people by age or household income or even by geography or any combination of those variables, um, and then draft the questions, they'll help you ask them in a very time-efficient manner and typically supply the data and you do the analytics. Uh, and the reason that's important, as I say, is that awareness is the first step in in the journey toward purchase. And uh, I will tell you, and, and I get a little ahead of the conversation here, but when I was in the healthcare business, uh, we did a daily survey of awareness uh, nationally uh, for our brand and five others. And I can tell you a little bit more about that later because we tracked it for three years. So each day in this country, we pulled a national sample of adults. That's amazing. Yeah. That is quite the undertaking. And I didn't realize until you just said it that you do the analytics. So that's a lot of data to be combing through. You founded Y Partners in 1988. What was the initial mission or concept for that business? And how did it change over time? 
Well, in uh, 1988, we formed Y Partnership, and we did so with the intention of trying to grow that into uh, what would become a very integrated and large marketing services business initially here in this part of the world. And the emphasis that we that I placed on growing the business at the time was really in the area of research, because we, we thought there was a huge deficit in terms of uh, understanding hospitality motivations, purchase motivations. So we built a, a very robust research function uh, where we did a lot of research that we would put in the public domain. But most of what we did was private, and it was designed to help companies make you know, pricing decisions, brand decisions, naming decisions. Uh, and general marketing decisions. And then what we did is we gradually grew our our expertise in other support areas, uh, creative services, media, uh, publicity, public relations, things of that nature. So that's where we started. And then um, as we moved through the 90s uh, and the internet became a a kind of emerging force in terms of marketing strategy, uh, I merged Y Partnership with a company by the name of MMG Worldwide uh, to create MMGY, and we did that in 2010. And the reason that that was such a wonderful marriage is, number one, we had very few clients where we had a shared conflict, but more importantly, number two, MMG had invested very heavily in the digital world, uh, something that we had we had uh, dabbled in, but frankly not invested into the same degree. So with that marriage, uh, we got got the digital expertise of MMG, and MMG got the research and creative expertise of Y Partnership to create what became uh, MMGY. And around that time, you took a sabbatical of sorts and went to work at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. That seems like a bit of a departure to me. How and why did that happen? Well, it was interesting. Uh, Two reasons. Number one, I was contacted by the chairman of uh, CTCA, the abbreviation for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And uh, at the time, he was looking for someone that had some knowledge of service marketing. So he looked to hospitality for that. As it turns out, um, had a board member at the time who happened to be the chairman, excuse me, the president and CEO of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company which was one of our clients at the time. So the chairman spoke to the board member. The board member said, give this guy a call. So he did. We had a conversation. He said, come in uh, as an observer uh, to one of our board meetings, which I did. And I sat and I must tell you, Susan, I was overwhelmed by uh, not just the complexities associated with uh, healthcare marketing, uh, but the compassion associated with what they did and the results that they achieved. And I was invited then to serve as a member of the board, which I did. I served on the national board for a period of 14 years. And during that time, the chairman persuaded me to go ahead and take a sabbatical from uh, my primary responsibilities at the agency to become the chief growth officer of CTCA, which was a fabulous experience for me. Um, I learned so much about the the business of medicine, but importantly, marketing um, uh, healthcare services in what is arguably the toughest diagnosis anybody can receive, which is a cancer diagnosis. And I think your listeners will will enjoy this, but to give you a sense of the magnitude of the investment we made in direct-to-patient marketing, my staff was over 200 people in marketing at CTCA. We, at the time, were um, uh, one of the, I think, the largest investors in the evolving technology of, of Internet search uh, when Google was uh, was was uh, launching uh, in beta new techniques and strategies and so forth, they came to us first in healthcare. 
at the time, oh, I had uh, television advertising running on 40 networks across the country, uh, built it to the point where CTCA became uh, the most admire, admired uh, cancer care provider of all of them uh, in the U.S. It was a fascinating experience, but most importantly, uh, I really marveled at the work that they did, driven by their commitment to deliver hospitable health care. I remember those television ads when I first learned that that you had been there. I was I can see the ads in my mind. So speaking of brand awareness, that worked. Great. It was a success still to this day. <laughs> Terrific. So while you were there, your co-author Stowe Shoemaker was advising MD Anderson similarly about applying principles of hospitality to healthcare. And that sort of led the two of you to join forces on the book. I know you started the book with a survey. Will you talk about your findings and how you did all of that analysis? Sure. Yeah, well, a little bit uh, briefly on Stowe's background. He's been in the hospitality education business for his entire career. He, at the time, was the dean of the HERA program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, he's now part of the uh, President's Foundation group there. But um, he, when he was in Houston on the faculty of the University of Houston, he had a joint appointment with MD Anderson, and I bumped into him in Las Vegas. Uh, this was about four or five years ago. We were both attending a conference. And I asked him what he was up to, and he told me, he said, what are you up to? And I told him what I was doing. I said, you know, I have learned so much about how I think the hospitality industry could lend its expertise to healthcare in a beneficial way. He said, you know, that was my same observation at MD Anderson. I said, well, why don't we try to write a book? And uh, rather than have two guys with an opinion write a book, we decided to do this with some facts. And that's what led then to the survey you mentioned. We uh, went out and we polled 1,200 adults in this country, and we got their impressions of 22 common points of service engagement, things like the ease or difficulty of making an appointment, uh, whether or not you uh, were aware of the cost of the service before it's delivered, whether or not you asked for feedback after the experience, those kinds of things. And we did it for five industry categories. We did it for hospitals, walk-in clinics, doctor's offices, lodging, hotels and resorts, and dining, restaurants. So the way to think about this is we have on, on this kind of spreadsheet, we have down the left-hand side, 22 points of service engagement. On the top on the columns, we have five industries. And in each cell, we have 1,200 observations. Really, really robust piece of work. We did all the analytics, and we discovered some very interesting things. I would bet that anyone who has interacted with the healthcare industry at all would agree that adding more hospitality to the mix would make a huge difference. I think one of the findings that you have that I am still scratching my head about is the idea of loyalty. It strikes me that at least in America, very few people have control over what doctors they see, what procedures they get. Like most of that stuff is either determined by insurance company, by cost, by need. And so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how a loyalty program could influence buying behavior in with those parameters, sort of within that, those constrictions? What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let me start by just uh, describing the, uh, 
challenge that healthcare providers have in, in cultivating loyalty. And I'll recite a couple of statistics. We know from our work that if you were to visit any hospital or hospital system for any type of medical procedure, and we take a look at the percentage of individuals that would go back to the same hospital or system within five years, that number is around 42, 43%. So just think about the inverse of that. So what I just said was 60% of the people that go to a healthcare provider, hospital or healthcare system, will not go back to that same system within a five-year period for any type of medical care. Now, if you think about um, you know, years ago in the in the hotel business, when loyalty was just becoming a, a popular pursuit, um, what the lodging industry did was create these really wonderful recognition and reward programs that were designed to go ahead and reduce that percentage. And I can tell you back at the time in the early days, it was you know roughly sixty percent of people that weren't loyal to certain hotel brands. Well, now that number, as you probably know, for those people who play in these hotel programs, exceeds 70%. And if you think about the reversal of that in healthcare, the implications that has for financial performance of those providers is pretty profound. So, so there's a huge attrition problem. That's the headline in healthcare. So the question is what to do about it. Well, um, to your point, you say, well, a lot of consumers don't have a lot of choice when it comes to healthcare. And I would tell you that even in closed networks, so for example, if you're in a in a commercial network uh, where you have a, an insurance from someone like United or a Blue Cross or Humana, you do have a choice. In fact, uh, you have a choice of typically among a number of different providers within the system, right? So, so you can evaluate their their ratings on health grades. Now, increasingly, you'll be able to see what they charge for the services they provide. So, you'll be able to exercise choice within within the parameters of the network. Increasingly, we also see, by the way, if you're a Medicare patient, okay, as you probably know, uh, then you can choose from any number of providers that actually take Medicare. So what happens is all of a sudden, the issue of recognition reward becomes very important because people can exercise that choice and they can move to different providers based on what they see or what they've read or what they've heard about a particular provider. The other thing that's really driving this is this push toward transparency and pricing. And, you know, one of the things that we discovered in our survey is the number one source of dissatisfaction for people uh, when they consume healthcare services is not knowing the price. That is such an amazing point. Like if healthcare providers take nothing away from this conversation, it should be that. I am fiercely loyal to my doctor and I still have no clue what it's going to cost every single time I go there. Well, you're a bit of an anomaly, to be honest with you, uh, because based on what we looked at in, in our study is that increasingly the issue of price and transparency is going to become a determinant of where people go for care. Mm-hmm. You may be aware that in the Trump administration, there was an administrative proclamation that was issued. This is back in 21, whereby hospitals had to begin to post online the prices for 300 common services that they provided to patients so that you as a patient could go into any hospital website and you could access that information. So you could take a look at, you know, we've all heard stories about, well, you wouldn't believe what I had to pay for a CAT scan at this hospital. And I checked it out at this other hospital and found out it was 25% less or whatever. Well, those prices generally are very opaque 
you know, to to patients. Mm-hmm. But what's happened is there's a movement now underway, a regulatory movement underway to make sure that consumers have access to more transparent pricing. In fact, um, uh, the uh, with that proclamation has come a, a regulation that if uh, CMS, uh, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, find a hospital is not in compliance with those requirements, they find them. And they find them on a daily basis until they do. There's this huge, as you know, movement toward letting people know the cost of the service. That also, Susan, is going to affect recognition and reward programs because the more people understand the cost of the service, that's going to begin to affect issues related to uh, to, ro- to loyalty. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is just more, more to the point. In the book, we have some fun with this because we open with this fictitious patient who's told he needs a colonoscopy. It's a guy who's 45 years old, never had one. So he goes through all of the, the hassle of getting booked and having the procedure. He shows up. They don't greet him properly. He doesn't know the cost of the procedure. He gets the bill later on from the anesthesiologist. He wasn't expecting uh, and so for all of this experience. And then six weeks later, he and his wife go to Las Vegas for the weekend. And we chronicle to try to make the money back. <laughs> well, we we chronicle the experience. And we say, well, how does it begin? Well, he goes online. He checks out the options. He shows up because he's a member of the reward program at the front desk. He loved, he discovers that they're upgrading him to a lovely suite. He had no idea. They have a wonderful time. The guy checks out on his phone, checks the bill. Everything is in order. No hassles, no problems. Uh, he gets back home. Uh, two weeks later, he gets his visa bill and. Uh, before that, by the way, he got an email from the manager of the hotel, said, how'd you like your experience? By the way, he never heard from the gastroenterologist who did the colonoscopy. Um, and then he discovers when he gets his visa bill that he got 3,000 reward points with an invitation to come back. And he said, wow, why didn't he get those reward points for his colonoscopy? Now, when I say that to clinicians, they all poo-poo that. So what are you talking about? And I said, don't think about that. Did you know that 60% of your patients don't come back within five years? Wow. Do you think it would be helpful if you were to offer some kind of recognition programs to enhance that loyalty? By the way, it's not all about the money. Mm -hmm. It's also about well-being, right? Just think about that. And that is the more that you can encourage people to behave in a way that is healthy, you know, through recurring exposure to their care providers and so forth, presumably the healthier they are. And that's got a lot of, um, of residual benefits. Anyway, we think that in the next couple of years, you're going to begin to see hospital systems and providers introduce loyalty programs. Now, the difference in healthcare uh, is regulatory, and that is if if it's a provider that takes uh, government patients, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, you cannot uh, induce any kind of uh, behavior through financial incentives. And that is anything that would be cash related or convertible to some kind of cash value. Mm -hmm. So what that means is the point systems in hospitality, for example, um, would only be available for things like free screenings, right? Or for healthy lectures or, uh, you know, uh, healthy, uh, you know, complimentary uh, wellness programs at the hospital, that kind. It cannot have a financial benefit because they're laws that uh, prevent that. But that's the only difference. By the way, reward programs for commercially insured patients. So if you have a Blue Cross or a um, a United Healthcare program, very appropriate. You can give them points. You can give them incentives. You can give them theoretically even reductions on service, the cost of services. 
So it's very interesting yeah. and would, I think, be so well-received. During the hospitality layoffs that resulted from the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a lot of discussion about how very transferable hospitality skills are to other industries. I'm not sure that we saw that play out completely, although I think the transition or the uh, senior living became a much more appealing and frequent place for hospitality folks to apply. Um, Aside from healthcare, what do you think are some industries that could benefit from an infusion of hospitality very particularly? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the answer to that is all, right? (laughs) But are there any that stand out to you? You know, I again, a great question. And I will tell you, um, the short answer would be any industry where the provider has direct engagement with the customer, right? So, I mean, we can all think about what those would be. I mean, just think about uh, experiences in retail today that you have. You know, most people go to a department store, they can't find somebody to check out. You know, they mm-hmm. can't find somebody to ask questions. They can't, you know, those kinds of things. So anybody that has direct contact with a customer um, could benefit from this. But what is so exciting about um the conversation we're having and why we wrote the book is it is a natural for healthcare to adopt principles of hospitality because of the, as I say, we, we marked 22 different points of engagement that are common from the time you want to make an appointment to the time you check out. And um, the other aspect of that is we know based on our experience professionally in healthcare that, that, Operators that have adopted principles of hospitality, and I can tell you at CTCA, this was amazing to me because, you know, we were treating patients with the most difficult diagnosis you could get, primarily those with an advanced stage cancer, stage three and four. And yet we were getting 90 plus percent approval ratings and recommendation ratings from patients and their families. And I would always have a hard time kind of rationalizing that saying, how is it possible People could be so happy about cancer care. And the answer is it was the way it was delivered. And and, uh, it was delivered in a way that was compassionate, respectful, anticipatory, and all those kinds of things. So to me, uh, for your listeners, I think there is a huge opportunity to transfer skills from hospitality into healthcare. And I think, you know, what we're seeing, um, uh, Stowe and I, is... Uh, healthcare providers are now really awakening to the idea that they have a lot to learn. And, and it begins with a simple question I'll ask you and, and I'll ask your listeners. And you know, we start talking about this. Um, the first question I ask everybody is, Can, have you ever had a personal healthcare experience that went wrong? And we all go, oh, yeah. And now let me tell you about what happened last week. <laughs> and we say, well, but stop. let me stop you for a second. And I said, I would bet you it didn't go wrong because of the clinical outcome. It went wrong because of the way the healthcare service was delivered. And everybody's head starts nodding. So, you know what? Yeah, I had to wait too long. They were rude to me. I couldn't get an appointment. They sent me a bill I wasn't expecting. You know, all the things we just talked about. So I think the people in the hospitality industry, you know, should really be looking over the fence because I think you're going to see the next, you know, five to 10 years, some wonderful career opportunities 
that are developing. Um, you know, many hospital systems now have what's called a chief patient experience officer. And many times these are people who've come out of hospitality, you know, who understand principles and uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. That sounds like an amazing job. I just thought of 10 people who would be geniuses doing that work. Yeah. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some specific, practical, tangible things that they can try either in their businesses or their personal lives. What advice would you give to someone listening who is really excited about the idea of making her medical practice or hospital division more hospitable? Like what would be some first steps? Well, not to be, uh, not not to provide a commercial, but I'd say buy and read, read the book. Read their book. I knew you were going to yeah. say that. <clears throat> and then, but more importantly, in the book, I uh, think as you know, we introduce a model, a management model, and the acronym is P A E E R, pronounced payer. Now, to people in healthcare, they all chuckle when I say that because they think of payer, P A Y O R, which uh-huh. is insurance companies. But the P stands for prepare. The A is anticipate. The first E is engage. The second E is evaluate. And the R is reward, pair. Prepare, anticipate, engage, evaluate, reward. Each of those in the book has a chapter, and each of those has very specific actions that a practitioner, whether it's a physician in a single practice, multi-practice, a hospital administrator, could literally implement from hospitality. Uh, It's almost like a checklist of things that they could do in each of those five steps to improve the patient experience. And, uh, you know, some of them are like what I shared with you a moment ago, and that is when the appointment is confirmed, give a pro forma estimate of the cost. You know, uh, another thing, this is amazing. Uh, We discovered in our research that the majority of adults tell us that healthcare providers don't ask for feedback on the experience. And you and I know that, you know, if I book a, t- a reservation on open table tonight in a restaurant tomorrow morning, I'm going to get an email saying, how was your dining experience? Or 75 emails asking Absolutely. that question. And, yeah, but isn't it ironic that mm-hmm. in the healthcare business that uh, half of adults tell us they never hear from the providers asking about the experience? Anyway, so there, there's so many kind of actionable tips and recommendations in the book for each of those five uh, chapters uh, that I, that's what I would recommend. I, I think uh, they're easy. Most of them are easy to implement. Um, most of them are are fairly obvious. Uh, they require a little training. You know, what, sometimes we have people, clinicians who've read the book and say, well, it's all very expensive to do all that. And I say, you know, most of the cost of that is buried in your P&L right now. You have the people on the payroll. They're just not engaged in a manner and using the right systems to provide hospitable care. I'm going to add something, which is aside from the cost upfront thing, which I think would be my number one on my list. Number two is don't make me fill out the same information 400 times. (laughs) It makes me want to jam a pen in my eyeball. It's the most (laughs) crazy making, inefficient. Well, we have a recommendation on how to solve that problem too. And uh, it's in the book. Excellent. Excellent. uh, Every doctor needs it immediately, Mm -hmm. if not sooner. So as someone who has worked in hospitality for many moons, what are 
a couple of the things that you think are the best changes you've seen in our business over that time? And what are a couple of the worst? Well, the thing that excites me the most now, uh, and, and I still have uh, a lot of uh, interest naturally in, in the hospitality business through uh, a continuing uh, interest in MMGY, and, and I occasionally do get involved in some client work, which is still a lot of fun. But the thing that I'm most excited about is how technology is rapidly evolving uh, the way we uh, reach and engage uh, consumers, you know, travelers. Um, I have to, to chair, uh, I'm the vice chair and I'm incoming chair of the uh, Discover the Palm Beaches. Uh, it's the DMO uh, here in Palm Beach County. And uh, we had a, a board meeting the other day and I, I said, you know, the thing that we really need to understand is how the evolution of all this buzz about AI is going to rapidly take us to something that we've been trying to do for years, which is to personalize these travel experiences, you know, whether it's personalizing in, in the search process, uh, but more importantly, in the actual experience. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's to me, the North star in the travel business, you know, everybody, you know, even in a family vacation, you know, the dad may want to do something different than mom. They do want to, the kids want to do something different. The whole point is that they all travel together, but for the most part, uh, you know, the whole planning process and the experience process is a fairly um, homogeneous, mm-hmm. you know, and there are ways now with technology uh, to kind of identify what those individual differences are, even as part of a group, and then deliver against those. So I think that's the exciting part about this. Um, what's the worst? I honestly can't think of anything that's the worst. I, you know, I, I, this has been an exciting business, it's been a lot of fun. Okay, I'll let you off the hook for that <laughs> one then. We have reached the fortune-telling portion of our show. So now is the time for you to predict the future. What is a prediction you have about the future of marketing? The North Star for all marketers has always been to know enough about their customers to be able to customize and to personalize the experience. <clears throat> and I know, you know, years ago when we were doing a lot of um, research for our clients. Um, we were attempting to do that, even the hotel business where we were attempting to get information prior to a guest arrival to make sure that they had, you know, the kind of room they wanted and the pillow they wanted and the in-room amenity they wanted and so forth, you know, and even the best operators today still have difficulty doing that, which is amazing to me. But the idea is, um, as we move toward personalization, there's a remarkable thing that happens uh, for both the customer and the and the business. For the customer, uh, it's that satisfaction improves. You know, people have a better experience. But for the business, what happens is, if you can customize the experience, you can charge more. So what happens is revenues go up. So it's a win-win kind of combination. So to me, that's the the future of marketing is going to be the kind of the the very aggressive and rapid pursuit of of that personalization kind of accelerated by what's going on with technology. If you could wave your magic wand and eliminate one part of the healthcare experience, what would it be? The thing that I would uh, focus on most would be all of the... Um, the obstacles that exist to access. 
and that is difficulty getting access, whether it's timeliness of appointments, whether it's the accuracy of of um, uh, of the information provided in those appointments. Right now, there's so many barriers to that. And um, <clears throat> let me give you a quick insight on that, which is kind of funny. Um, you know, the hospitality business started that years ago when they discovered yield management, right? So you, the way that works is, uh, as we say, the hotel says, tell me when you want to come and I'll tell you what you have to pay, right? And the airline says, tell me when you want to fly and I'll tell you what you have to pay. In the healthcare business, it's like, don't tell me when you want to come, but I will tell you what you have to pay. <laughs> so, so I'll you tell know, you when you can come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I mean, that's an access issue. So, one of the recommendations we make in the book is that healthcare adopt principles of yield management so that you can say, well, you know, wow, I didn't realize that CAT scan was going to be that much. Uh, if I came in, you know, on the morning midweek, well, you know what? You can come in Saturday afternoon because the machines are not busy on the weekend. And uh, we can do that CAT scan for about 50% less. Mm -hmm. How does that sound? He said, wow, I didn't know I had a choice. You know, so, but healthcare doesn't think that way. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, when Bob Crandall's, you know, who was the uh, the former chairman, uh, CEO of American Airlines, <laughs> said, if I have a thousand customers and I had, and they're all paying the same fare, I know that I need 999 more fares. And the idea is that he wanted to get the right fare to the right customer, which is the whole concept behind yield. And guess what? If you do that properly, nobody knows that better than the hotel business, your revenues go up, right? They haven't figured that out in healthcare yet. So I think you're going to see you know, really progressive healthcare systems begin to discover that. That's interesting. That was um, the the access was one of the things I was thinking about for a rewards program. Mm -hmm. That if you can't give financial rewards in a loyalty program for a healthcare system, could you give access rewards like sure. jump the line or sure. you sure. know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Sure. Okay, folks. Before we tell Peter goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Peter, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? Mm. Well, um, I've had the privilege of working with a number of kind of prominent clients over the years, uh, ranging from uh, uh, Merv Griffin, you know, who was in the resort business for many, many years, to our, our ex, uh, our former president, Mr. Trump. But I think the one that I always reflect on, which is really most interesting, is uh, for years we represented uh, Mrs. Helmsley, Leona Helmsley from Helmsley Hotels. You know? Oh wow! Yeah, and it was a remarkable experience. She's probably one of the. She was one of the most creative uh, people I've ever met. Uh, remarkable, uh, remarkable visual uh, instincts, and uh, she loved to write copy, ad copy. You know, so we would sit and she would just she'd just keep writing ad copy. You know, and and she was very creative. Um, but I, and I can't maybe get into all the details because probably wouldn't be appropriate, but, um, as you may recall, she, she had to spend a couple of years in what they called the big house. <laughs> and, um, during that period of time that didn't stop any of the marketing, right? So the marketing had to go on because the Helmsley hotels were still operating the New York palace, Helmsley palace in New York was still operating. 
And um, we had some very interesting kind of exchanges on how um, campaigns evolved, were critiqued, and ultimately were <laughs> launched. But uh, I'll never oh forget those gosh. experiences. Yeah, but uh, she uh, was, again, one of the most creative people. You know, she had a, a, a very bad rap in the press for lots of reasons, probably well-deserved. But in terms of, uh, you know, in hospitality, boy, she had the highest standards absolutely the highest standards of, of uh, quality delivery and so forth. And so for the, the people who worked for her had the greatest admiration uh, for her standards. It was the people on the outside looking in based on lots of things that she said that she did. And so forth that got her in trouble, but it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. That is the kind of story that I'm looking for on the loading dock. Peter Yesowich, thank you so much for being here and for riding up to the top floor. I know that the minds of our listeners are reeling with ideas and potential new careers in healthcare. And I really appreciate you being here. It was my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And I hope your listeners did as well. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 126. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all-around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 